0: the heavy metal mayhem radio show everybody should hear me loud and clear this week i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but last week nobody was able to listen to the live stream of the show uh block talk radio is having problems another one of the reasons why i cannot wait to end this show because dealing with the site has been horrific over the last 12 years no improvements in technology whatsoever to speak of but the price keeps going up all the time hey but never mind that we got a great show for everybody tonight joe bouchard Formerly of Blue Oyster Cult, he's been a solo artist, one of who's been a member of Blue Oyster Cult. We'll be talking to Joe about his latest record. Also, Paul Lyman from the Wise Man Sphere in the second half of the show. And right there, we kick things off with Axe. Another great New York band from back in the day who always were compared to sort of like Blue Oyster Cult uh, with Rock and Roll Party and the shit off the Orphan record. I bought that record when it came out. You know, zigzag records, or maybe a tightest look out of the use better, but because album cover looked really cool I didn't realize they were more of like a hard rock band than a metal band because back then there were very few uh, You know options of finding out about bands. So there was no internet. You had maybe Cream and Hit parade. I don't even think Metal Forces has come out yet and Kerrang was really expensive If you could get yourself a copy of it at one of the stores, they didn't all carry it uh, Maybe one or two record stores would carry that magazine back then because of the price tag on it I mean, you know because it was an import, but other than that you have to buy things and figure it out for yourself. That's where things worked back then. All right, we're going to keep the music going here. How about a little brand new Primal Fear? Hear me calling. out there set with some brand new primal fear hear me calling uh it didn't really do nothing for me i have to be honest with you and i haven't gone through the entire record yet so maybe there's uh something a little bit more interesting in that song but uh that's not really doing it for me i have to be honest with you black lace born to raise hell both of those original blacklist records have been reissued you have to forgive me here today i have a little sore throat they've both been reissued so if you weren't around back in the day to pick them up originally I have them, and I'm lucky going by the remakes and recopies of them that are out there. And right there, Heaven with H.O.T., Hot. Back in 2012, I had Alan Fryer on the show, and we were talking a lot uh, before he came here, you know, going back and forth to phone calls and everything. And he sent me over a bunch of new Heaven songs that were to be recorded and put on, I guess, what they were playing for the next record. Uh, not the original lineup of the band. This was the much in around 2012 the lineup he had going at that time. And one song was Hot, which I just played for you right now. Then there was When We Rock, and I think Woman or Woman. I think I played that once before, maybe when he was on the show back then. Alan was a great guy, and we talked a lot, you know, in that time that we had before he passed away. Uh, so I definitely do miss him in those conversations. But so I'm heaven for you. I don't know. I mean, I know the band is back together again with, I think. Either the bass play or the original guitar play. I'm not too sure, to be honest with you. Uh, he put another line up and a band back together. Whether or not these songs will be re-recorded with the new singer, I have no idea. But if not, throw a little piece of uh, history over there, a little lost gem of music. All three songs are pretty good, too, I have to say. They kind of brought me back to that original sound from back in the first record. All right, we're going to get to Joe Bouchard in about 10 minutes. We'll play one or two more tunes before then go into that interview. Play some stuff off his new record. I know it's more of like you know the rock vein than not even hard rock or heavy metal. But when you get a chance to interview Joe Bouchard from Blue Oyster Cult, even though he hasn't been in the band in like thirty something years, you don't pass that one up. You just go for it. All right, how about some Q5? Tear up the night. is on Flames with Rock and Roll. Let's talk to Joe Bouchard. Joe, this is Mike. How are you? Hey, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's a pleasure to talk with you today. Oh,
1: good to talk to you.
0: Uh, you too, my friend. Hey, well, listen, I have to tell you, you did an amazing job on this new record, Strange Legends. It's been a couple of years since cool. we had something from you, and it was well worth the wait. Awesome. Great yeah yeah i'm uh, I'm really I, excited
1: about it it's doing well
0: yeah i'm happy for you i mean when you think about the list four or five records each one has like such a distinct identity like in the way you write perform and play it oh, i mean is it because of the people you work with or bring in to work with you on each album or is it just you kind of don't want to repeat yourself
1: uh yeah uh all of those things uh you know, uh, I usually just go by, you know, what I think is right at the time, you know. I don't try to sort of second guess, you know, what people are going to like because, you know, I've been wrong so many times, you know. And, uh, but I'm glad that, I'm glad you like it. And uh, I do think that I'm getting better. This is my sixth solo album. So I think every one I do gets better and better. And, you know, um it's 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 a lot of fun. I'm having the best time
0: of my life right now. In spite yeah, of all of it, it is in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy world right now we're living in, you know, especially in certain yeah. areas. But uh you know, it's it's the music that centers us, I believe. It's what brings us back. It's it's our escape, you know. Uh your thought well, process, your ability to write songs is what we get into to escape from, you know, yeah. the harshness of the world.
1: Well, thank you so much. I uh, I'm I'm amazed that uh people still send me emails all the time about this great song that I wrote back in 1972 or 1974 or 1980. Uh, I you know the longevity of that those those uh, those tunes, those quick little tunes that I just dreamed up. Uh I'm I'm amazed it's it's all good, you know. And I'm glad to be doing more stuff. So True.
0: It's I good. mean, you know, in a way it's hard to ever escape from the Blue the Cult thing, but when you think about it, all the music you've been putting out and, and whether it's Blue Coop or working with your brother or any other project or album, yeah. you've been doing that a lot longer than you actually did Blue Oyster the Cult when you think about oh, it. Oh
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And uh Yeah, we're excited. You know, Albert and I started our own record label called Rock Heart Records. And uh my album is the first album on that label, and his album will be the second album, that's coming out in October. And uh, I know the fans are going to love it because uh, his album is really great, and I'm getting a great reaction on my my album. I I actually got on the charts. I haven't seen charts since the '80s.
2: <laughs> so I'm, I'm I'm on yeah. the
1: charts in, in Holland, in Holland. So I love I I love the Dutch. They 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 are amazing people, and uh, I thank them for uh, picking my song out of you know all the new
0: songs that came out that week.
1: And uh, we'll see how it goes from here, but you know it's a
0: good start. Absolutely, that's a beautiful thing. You know, Joanne, think about it. I mean, you pretty much play a little bit of every instrument. I mean, was that something you've always done your whole career, or was it just something that branched out after you know yeah. playing bass? Yeah, did you have to learn each one as you went
1: along? I... Or... Yeah, well, you know, I started out, my mom made me play, take piano lessons. <laughs> Did you hate <laughs> it when that happened? To, oh, I hated it. Oh, I, I'd be practicing. I'd look out the window, and everybody's out there playing be- baseball, you know. And I'd oh, my God, I can't stand this. So I dropped it after a year or two. And um, then I took up the trumpet, and I played the trumpet in the school band. And then my yeah. uncle hap- happened to be a really good guitar player. He played a lot like Les Paul, that sort of jazz, 50s jazz style. And yeah. and he had some great guitars. He had some great guitars. So he, my cousin also played. So with my cousin, we started a little band, and uh, we got to use my uncle's guitars for a couple of years. I don't know. he You know, he was very nice to us to let us uh, borrow his jazz master. You know, and his uh, Gibson—I don't know what they would be. Probably three thirty. A little old, old big box Gibson's he had.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah.
1: And that was our start. You know, so I've been playing with Albert, you know, for years—a good long time, a good, good long time. So yeah, and so we're we're we can't believe it. We we have our own record label now, uh, as we go into. Uh, you know, our uh, second uh, part of uh, of, a, of, a, of a century. <laughs> it's funny. It's it, good.
0: It, it, it it's incredible. Yeah, I know. <laughs> was there ever a time when you were up on stage and you're playing in front of tens of thousands of people and you look out in that door and you say to yourself, you know, my mom was right when she said I should play the piano? <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> many times. Many times, well, <laughs> you know, you you hear a lot of stories where you know parents didn't want their their kid to go into music, and they you know they would you know be hard on them, you know they were rebels or whatever. But no, in my, in our family, they loved what we did, you know. And my my mom was always, especially was, and my dad both both were very supportive. And you know, I think I think back a lot to that and it keeps me going, you know. You know, uh all the experiences and you know the things that we did uh, back as kids, we're still still feel like kids today.
0: Why not? Yeah. Why well, that's true. Yeah. I mean, th- do you think it helped to have a supportive family when it came to getting into the music business because I mean, let's be honest, the 60s, the 70s, even into the 80s. I mean, it, you know, it was a matter of time and luck sometimes, but you did have a shot of making it oh, and yeah. becoming a huge star. It's a lot different today because, you know, the record industry is not what it is. You know, oh, shows aren't yeah. what they yeah. are. You're, but, I mean, you know, did Rob have a support own, for know? the family? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a lot of luck.
1: You know, you could probably say definitely over 50% luck. But if you don't follow up, and if you don't stick to it, you know that was another thing they they made us stick to. You know, if you got a a job to do, you stick with it. You know, so yeah. I guess that was dr- drilled into us when we were kids. And so uh, yeah, but it was a lot of luck and timing. Sure, oh, the timing for for a band like Blue Oyster Cult to come out in the you know in 1972, the perfect timing. It, it, it got to be a point, you know, because the Beatles already had done stadiums and uh, and uh, so, but it, it still was the baby industry, you know, in the 70s, oh, it started really rolling, you know, with us and Kiss and uh, Aerosmith and, you know, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple. We did all of those bands early, you know, played on shows with all of those bands. It was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it, was, it was an amazing time for music But you know, you think it back You go to 1972 And you know, every band's goal I mean, is to like get signed to a record label You know, meet girls, party, have fun Make money, get rich, play in front of millions of people In 1972 How difficult was it to get a record label interested? I mean, I, I want to say it was Columbia or CBS You guys were signed to early on Was it difficult? Columbia yeah. You know, uh, getting that uh, hap- making that happen? Yeah
1: Yeah, we went uh, When I joined the band in 1970 We did some demos shortly after I joined the band. We did some demos. And our manager, Sandy Perlman, who knew a lot of people in New York City, he took it around to the record labels and nobody was interested. So months go by. We're playing clubs, doing anything we could do to just survive. And uh, then we did another set of demos. And Sandy brought those around to his friends in the business uh, and uh, there was a little interest with Atlantic, but also Columbia. And I think Columbia was the strongest. So we had to do a live audition. We, were, we set up all our equipment in the conference room at, at, uh, at, the, at the CBS building, at the, big, the Black Rock right there on yeah. 52nd Street. And uh, we played five songs for Clive Davis. And uh, had no idea whether it was going to happen or not. I think we were just just stunned that we were even doing an audition. And we did the audition the next day. He said, yeah, let's sign him up. So that we were on our way, you know. And then the work started. Then the real work started. I mean, it's one thing to get an audition. It's another thing to come out with an album that people are going to like, you know. So that that whole summer... We just we worked seven days a week, constantly, you know. And then in the fall of uh, it was followed seventy one. We started recording and it was out in early seventy two. So, and it had a great song called Cities on Flame with rock and roll, which is yep. to me is one of the like real um, connection songs between the rock and roll world and the metal world was. Cities on Flame, and that was the first album, the first single from the first album, and uh, still love that song. Still love playing that song, you know. So
0: yeah, it's amazing yeah. how all these songs hold up over time. But you know, when you think about it, you know, you're a, you're a young band, a new band, you, you're signed to a major label now. I mean, do you kind of go in there headstrong, saying, "Hey, you know, this is who we are, this is what we want to project, this is what we want to be," or do you kind of have to open yourselves up to, "Hey, you know, this label's paying us money and putting out a lot of money for this record, we kind of got to work with them to make it happen." And does that affect yeah. like the band musically? Well, we
1: we were lucky because Sandy, our manager, was really pretty adamant that he didn't want he didn't want any interference with the uh, with the record label. So we got. Total control over our artwork and our music. You know, I mean, they could have said no, wow. we can't put this out. You know, but but they they pretty much left us alone. It wasn't until you know maybe years later that we started to be friendly, more friendly. But he isolated us from the uh, from the uh, record label. He wanted us to have that sort of mysterious. Um, you know, image. You know, who are these guys? You know, and and kind of kind of like Pink Floyd. Nobody knew what Pink Floyd looked like back then.
0: True. You know, they <laughs> were
1: just this w- weird group. You know, and so uh, I think it was brilliant on Sandy's part to uh, to uh, set us up that way. And you know, eventually we got well known. Um, yeah, but it just worked out. Worked out really good.
0: True. You know, 15, 16 years later, you part the band, you take off, you leave, and you got your own thing going. Did you feel a sense of relief when that happened that you could be more creative musically at that point in oh, time yeah. in your life? yeah. Yeah. I, I I worked
1: as a record producer for a, a a short time, very short time. I was very unsuccessful. It was It was a real wake-up call, you know, because everything I had done before that had been, you know, golden. It was like, you know, so you got to hit you know, a, a point where you, you know, come back to reality. And that was my year of trying to produce albums. And I, and I had a good time, met a lot of great people, you know, uh, but never got a deal for any of my artists. So, um, but, so, I got calls from the guys in the band. They want to be back in the band. And I said, I can't, I can't do it because I'm having so much fun you know i I can't remember having so much fun, so it 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 would have been you know maybe I would have gone back and, you know things would have been completely different, but I've had just a tremendously rich uh varied and rich life since I left the band and was it, eighty six so that's thirty some years ago and um yeah. i I don't regret it at all you know i i i i uh I um I'm I'm happy they're putting out a lot of reissues of of the early songs. Um and occasionally we will do a you know a brief reunion and that's a lot of fun uh for the fans. But I'm glad I'm not doing it on a day-to-day basis cuz they do incredible amounts of shows even to this day, you know. They just played like Saturday night at a drive-in up in New Hampshire. And I guess it went very well, so uh, who knows? But they were doing, yeah. you know, all, many shows over over the years that, you know, they had six other bass players, and uh, they're all good. They're all excellent, great musicians, and they keep the torch going, so that's good. It's true.
0: You know, there there was that movie that Tom Hanks made called That Thing You Do about the rise of the '60s band. Oh yeah, was like based on the beat. <laughs> and you know, he, and and one of the guys is talking to one of the jazz players in the group, and he's like, you know, you were in this band. He goes, you know, being in a band is not realistic. He says, you know, you got to worry about yourself and take care of yourself and and do like the solo thing because bands come and go. And his band broke up like yeah. right after that. Do you think it's possible? Yeah. Really, I mean, you've seen some bands that have maintained for 30, 40 years with the original lineup. Some bands can't go more than a few months without changing half the members. So, is doing things yeah, like that you know, the best way? Because you don't have to butt heads with everybody else well, in the band.
1: Know, I'm, I, I'm at heart, I'm really a band guy. I love bands. I love all, all different kinds of bands. Uh, I play in a soul band twice a year. <laughs> I play in nice. a soul band. Well, I don't play. Band, I play keyboards i play organ you know we do our tower of power and stuff like that but that's that's it now i don't want to do it any more than that you know it's just just uh it's what i think i love the interplay between guys in the bands you know there's nothing like a uh a live show where the band is really together and they're really hitting it off you know you know what i mean uh yeah i I don't know how some of these bands Keep going for 40 years. The Rolling Stones. I mean, they've changed a few people and changed their style a a bit, but it's the Rolling Stones, you know. And uh, I mean, Mick tried to be a solo artist. It didn't work, and he realized that you know he had to do his thing. And I love those records, but they they weren't the Stones, and you know, uh, he's he's learned to deal with that, and he does a great job.
0: I love you. I think I think because they all drive around in separate cars and limos or in separate hotel rooms, it keeps them a lot friendly with each other after all these years. Yeah, that's walking and a lot of marriages yeah. have lasted. You know, that bad
1: I know. I went to see uh, what was it? ZZ Top. They all have separate dressing rooms. They they don't uh, they don't travel together, and uh, it was really funny. I went into uh, um, Billy Gibbons' dressing room, and there was a sleeping bag on the floor. Is that a sleeping bag? Yeah, I I gotta get my rest. (laughs) (laughs) A sleeping bag, they got a song called Sleeping Bag. Anyway, yeah, they're a band like that. That it's really worked,
0: it's worked for them, you know,
1: and uh, they they, they, do a lot of work, Yeah.
0: yeah. People yeah. think it's like in the movies where everybody's drinking, doing drugs, you know, partying. They don't see when you're sitting yeah. in that bus going for hour after hour from one place to another. Oh, sound, yeah. Trying to squeeze a nap. They don't see all. They think being the rock star is glamorous and maybe on the outside it looks that way, but there's a lot of behind the scenes work that I'm sure none of you guys oh, want yeah. to do or be a part of.
1: And uh, yeah, well, you know, what can I say? You know, some of these guys are just, you know, hardcore and, you know I do have a little bit of a life on the side and uh, and uh, you know I get I get to play with a lot of different people so that that and I and basically when I do my shows I I get to choose the set list and all of that if I was with them I wouldn't you know I would be doing uh, you know I would be doing whatever the band wanted to do as a whole and I was always yeah. I felt like I was kind of like the one one guy in the band that sort of kept things together um but you know, everybody's you got a different a different shade on that, so but
0: uh yeah yeah, it was a good time. Good. You know, Joe, one of the records I love, I mean the new one, Stranger Legends, is just incredible, but I go back to Tales yeah. from the Island all the time because oh, I feel yeah. this record really keeps in I mean, everything. There's a little bit of every genre, from, from punk to hard rock. And that, the, I mean, there's everything on this record. I mean, oh, but absolutely. you made it oh, 15 songs. It's I, incredible.
1: I wrote that song uh, on that album, like the Ramones, I was thinking, you know, what was it? The Heart of Wine. I thought that Heart would of be wine. A great. Heart of Wine is kind of like a uh, Ramones song. Yeah, but, you know, and also... That was uh, an album I put like I don't know I forget how many there was a lot of tracks on that album you know I think 15. that's the most tracks I ever yeah fifteen tracks and uh, there's a lot of lot of great moods you know in that that album so yeah well I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, it is a good one and uh, one of my favorites.
0: Yeah, a solid record. Yeah. Man. Oh. Do you do you have to put yourself into a certain place of mind when you write, or is it after all these years or this songs, is it just still kind of like just goofing around on the guitar, just something pops up and you go with it?
1: I, you know, I need. Uh, I, I do I, occasionally. I'll write a guitar riff and then put a song around it, but usually it starts with a concept. You know, um, uh, you know, something will hit me like that would be a great concept for a song. I I went down to Atlantic City. Uh, it was a uh, it was a it, I, I was down in Atlantic City for a um, um, yeah it was a it was a, how can I describe this I was down in Atlantic City for a legal uh, issue. <laughs> I was okay. down in Atlantic <laughs> City for a legal <laughs> issue, and um, so I had to stay overnight. It was not a big deal. But I, So I was really hungry, and I said, well, I wonder if I can get some food across the street there. And I went into this pub, and they had food. It was great. It was an Irish pub. It was the pub that never closes. They never close. They don't have a lock on the door. I said, wow. this is crazy, but it's Atlantic City. So that, that said, wow, I've got to write a song about this, this uh, trip to Atlantic City. So – I don't think people really know that, but that's one of the things. And then there was uh, other, uh, you know, ideas about when the before Blue Oyster Cult, uh, the early band Soft White Underbelly went to California. So I wrote a song about the motel they stayed in 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 California. And then I wrote a a song about uh, artwork. I mean, just a lot of different things. And then they do an instrumental on that one. Uh, as I said, Heart of Wine was like a uh, um, a uh, Ramon song. I got the lyrics from Richard Meltzer, who wrote, say, the lyrics to It for You. Those are his lyrics. So Heart of Wine is one he gave me years ago, and I just put that together. I, I did do a lot of songs on that album for my friend John Elwood Cook, who is a very prolific uh, songwriter. He was my next-door neighbor. I grew up with him, and uh, he would write these sort of blues, uh, blues kind of songs, kind of country songs, and I would turn them into rock songs. So that was a lot of the material on that one. And then, you know, it just comes down to when the, when all the material falls together and it starts sounding like an album. I, that's when I feel it's time to put it all together in an album and. You know,
0: fly it up the flagpole And see if anybody salutes Yeah
1: you know? well, with,
0: the the
1: with the new, new record You know, yeah I was going to say, with the new record I
0: feel that in all, all the songs on there I mean, from, you know, bottom for the bottom list I mean, I, I guess every song has a different meaning To everybody that, you know, listens to it or hears it yeah. Compared to like what you, maybe your original thought process was But was there that one song that you've put together From start to finish I mean, lyrics, music, everything that you just say I can't get over the song. it's just like you know it's it's the best one I've ever written
1: well uh i, I usually say that with every album <laughs> <laughs> I usually say that with every album, but uh i don't know i am um the song that's a single right now is this song uh she's a legend, which uh the lyrics are written by John Shirley, who is a science fiction writer tremendous uh creative guy and uh he uh, sent me an email when he i guess he had heard one of my other solo albums and he sent me an email and said i'm a fan so i said ah john I, I emailed him right back and i said send me some lyrics you know maybe we could collaborate and um he does lyrics for the current blue oyster cult uh oh, okay. past two albums he's done a lot of songs a lot of songs for them Uh, When Sandy Perlman didn't want to write any more songs, he said, you should try this guy, John Shirley. And uh, they've been using him a lot. And so he sent these lyrics the next day in an email. I said, great. And uh, She's a Legend really has that flavor of uh, classic rock. And um, that one really came out good. Because it's kind of moody, but then the chorus, like, really lifts off the ground and uh, it was a lot of fun putting that together the other one he wrote was bottom for the bottomless like you mentioned he wrote the next yeah. to that and that that I decided I was going to go a little bit more less just like a, a simple hard rock song I wanted to make that a little bit more prog rock you know with some keyboards in it really stretch that one out um, so that that one that one really came out great too. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a really strong, the first cut I really like a lot too, is called the African queen, which is a yeah. song about a movie, an old classic movie from 1950s. Um, yeah Humphrey Bogart, and, uh, Humphrey, Humphrey Bogart. You know what I mean? Yep. So I saw the yep. movie and I, the concept just hit me. It said, I got to write a song about this. This is too good. And, um, you know, and then you look around and say, "Well, has there been another song written like that?" No, this is this is something new. But it's still just a simple rock song, and uh, I, I just love the feeling of it. And I'm I I grew up on a river, so I understand. Uh, I, I love songs about the river or you know water songs. The you know bottom for the bottomless is kind of like that too. So I
0: I, yeah. I love it that anything you anything that just grabs your attention you know can become fodder for a song. I mean, you can be looking out the window at a bunch of birds feeding in a pond, and you could write a song about it. That's incredible.
1: <laughs> I could, but you might not want to hear it.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I've been I've been collecting uh, you know collecting ideas, but I think when you start with a good, like a strong concept, um, you can. Uh, really sort of drive the music and the music has to like fit just right um, yeah I'm already starting to think about my seventh my next solo album you know maybe take a little bit of a detour but you never know until until you get close to the end and, and also I cut 17 songs and uh, so I have still I've got six that are really good that might be might end up on another record, but it was a lot of fun, uh, um, you know, you know, doing those songs. But I, I wanted to have something that really worked as a set, you know, as a really good sort of listening experience. You get to the end and you want to hear the whole thing again, you know. So that's that's how that came about. Yeah.
0: Oh. I have to tell you, Joe, it is an amazing record. I'm not going to keep you much longer today. I enjoy talking to you so much. but The record comes out officially, oh, I guess, on uh, the 31st of July. And you, people go to yes, your website or anywhere Friday. to buy the record right now?
1: Yes. You go to my website. There's a link that takes you right to uh, how to get the uh, the pre-order, get it going. I've got some uh, autographed versions. They have a the mega bundle, so you can get T-shirts. That poster looks great. Uh get my yeah. new
0: signature guitar pick It's all cool It's all cool stuff That's a great thing And I, and I hope things uh, pick up and get better around here Joe Because I really would like to get out and see you play yeah. live so hopefully I would that love will happen to play some live shows. This year. Yeah I so much That's the only way to appreciate that. music
1: Yeah yeah. And when everybody's singing along with the song That's the best The best feeling When everybody's just like singing along you, you could do a drive-in concert, but when you're singing in the car, it's not like singing in the singing I in know. The, in, the, uh, in the theater with the, with 5,000 other people, you know? Very oh, true. Wow.
0: It'll come back. I hope It'll we get back, back to that soon. It will. Yeah. It'll take a little time, but we'll get yeah. there again. Stay Joe, it was a yeah, pleasure talking positive. with you today, my friend. Stay safe out there and keep giving us this music, please.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Have a great day. You too. Take care, Joe. Bye-bye. Joe Bouchard, bottom for the bottomless. All right, Joe was a great guy to talk to, and that was a pleasure to do that interview. We got Paul Lyman from the Wiseman Sphere coming up in about 15 minutes or so. That interview was pre-recorded, so we'll uh, we'll air that after a couple of more tunes. We're down to our last six shows before we wrap things up here. I can't believe how fast this year is going, but we're down to the last half a dozen episodes, and I'm lining up our guests right now for August, and maybe September we'll just stick to music. As we come to an end here. Well, I, last week, nobody could hear the show because they were having issues and uh, the live stream wasn't working. Uh, so I only kept it to an hour. I kind of played the interview that we had with uh, Muir and a few songs around it. Uh, but I was saying last week, you know, Block Talk Radio won't let me keep all 12 years of the show here. They'll only allow me to keep up to 30 hours because I'm not uh, a, a paying host anymore. So I had to transfer all 12 years of the show to a new site. And uh, they're all over at talkshoe.com. So go to Heavy Metal Mayhem, talkshoe.com. I put the links up on all the sites. Uh, You can find all the old episodes there. Uh, It's like Blog Talk Radio in a way. You have to scroll through like 150 pages to find the episode that you want, which makes it kind of impossible to find anything unless it's one of the newest shows on the first two pages, you know, so you can easily get to those. But I'm uploading, I'm re uploading all the links to the blog spot that we have, the blogger account. Because that's a lot easier. There's a search engine on the top. You can type in the name of the band, the artist, the song, whatever you're looking for, and it'll pop up. There's also a menu on the side, you know, with every year and every month, and it has all the shows listed there too. Uh, So it's a much easier place to kind of find out, you know, where the old shows are. And after I finish with that, uh, I'll start doing it on my dot com site, having my mayhem radio show dot com. We'll start updating all the links on there, everything. So like ninety nine percent of the links, you know, that were on Block Talk Radio are dead now. They only kept about eight shows I think on here and they were like the highest rated ones so they kept those on. Uh but you have to go to talkshow.com dot com for the past ones. But if you go to the Block spot, you know, the blog account, almost everything is done on there right now. I think I'm on uh what do I got, two years left to do. I think I'm on 2010, 2011, I have to upload. But everything else, all the links are uploaded. So if you get the one that hasn't been uploaded yet, just let me know, and I'll I'll take care of that one right away. Uh, but just give me some time to get everything changed over. It's going to take a while. Like I said, the live show is going away on September 20. We're not going to be doing this no more. I'm going to continue to interview bands. You know, when they come to town and they have press days or, you know, a new record comes out, I'm still going to do an interview with bands. And I'll probably just upload it to the talk show site instead of having all the shows mixed up on other sites. So I hope you check out those shows as I do them. But at least with that, you know, when they come to town and they have an interview and I want to do it, I'll do it. If I don't want to do it, I don't have to. And, you know, we'll get them up here and there just to keep things active. But the live show will come to an end in uh, six more episodes, so about seven weeks, because there's no show next week. I'm on vacation. All right, let's get back to the music right now. How about we do a little Excalibur? This is the one out of the United Kingdom, Devil in Disguise. New Jersey that was Arctic Flame I don't know what's going on with the band it's Supposedly they're still together and active uh, I know they signed their deal uh, With Kill Metal Records I think about a year or so ago uh, For five hours And nothing has come out and The last record the band did put out Was uh, Shake the Earth in 2012 This is one of those bands that came out around 2000 2001 uh, Out of Bayonne, New Jersey And they just brought back the classic metal sound and They kind of got me reinvigorated you know, After all those years of not much being out there Or going on so, uh, I was a big fan of those guys. So, hopefully, they will be getting a new record out and getting back together. I have to check into that and see what's happening with them. Maybe even try to get them on the show. You know, like I was saying before, I started uploading all the the past shows to the to the new account, so people could listen to the, you know the old episodes. And I have like a little list I make saying I have to try to get this artist on the show. I have to interview this band, you know. And I make a little note to remind myself to find them. And then when I was uploading all these old episodes, I was like, oh, I interviewed that band in 2011. I interviewed this one in 2000. I didn't even realize they were on the show. You know, after a while, you interview so many bands uh, that you just kind of forget which ones you did or didn't do. You know. And there was some classic metal acts on there. It was looking like in 2000, from 2013 to 16, we had a lot of great bands. That were, you know, I I dug up that were kind of lost for a long time. you know. So there were some pretty cool interviews there. I actually went back and started listening to a few of them myself. All right, let's get to the interview with Paul Lyman from the Wise Man Sphere. We'll play this, a couple of more tunes, and then we're going to wrap it up here tonight. So bear with me. Hang on a second while I get this going. Paul, this is Mike. How are you?
3: Hey, Mike. How are you, ma'am?
0: I'm doing great, man. It's a pleasure talking to you today.
3: Likewise. Thanks for having me on.
0: Uh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. I have to tell you what a great job you did in this record. I mean, over the last three, you've encompassed so much. I mean, it's just amazing the the thought process that went into these albums.
3: That means a ton. We um, We put a lot into this record and it took a really long time, but we've been really, really happy with how it came out and um, yeah, it sort of grew into something a little bit more than what any of us individually knew that it was going to be. And it was really an exciting process.
0: You, you know, when you, when you first started working on Castles in the Cloud, I mean, was there, was this whole thing in place from the very beginning where you said, this is where we're going to go. This is what we want to do. And we have this entire you know story that we want to outline. Or did you just kind of have like a rough idea and then each album maybe went off in a different direction than maybe what the original plan was?
3: Uh, It was kind of somewhere in the middle, to be honest. So when we wrote Castle, we had like this sort of grand idea about looping a trilogy back into itself. And we thought that we wanted, you know, the main character from Castle to uh, sort of be a reincarnation of a character from our third record. But we ended up sort of changing things around just a little bit. But overall, the concept for having sort of a three-story arc that dealt in the same corner of our universe, that's always been in place since we started writing for Castle.
0: Yeah, it's really impressive. What I love about it is that, you know, a lot of bands have done concept records, maybe not true concept records or true stories. or But it's like it's either a story that just gets you bored after the third song or it's just so mishmashed that it doesn't make any sense you actually separated all your songs where each song could stand on its own as an individual song, but yet fit like more like a novel concept of a, of a record
3: thank you yeah that's a it's a delicate balance It's like you're saying you know you can get caught in the weeds one way or another um, there was some i can't remember what the band was, I wish you could remember but i I had a CD from this like European metal band a long time ago, and there were just, as specific as, like, detailing, like, the individual moves in a bat. It's like, i talking about smashing a shield into... So, it was it, like, very, very detail-oriented. Um, then that was, like, a little bit too much for my taste. It sort of pulled me out of the song as a song. But um, then, you know, that you can also get concept records that are sort of front-loaded and then use some fillers because they want to shoot for a concept and um, don't really know how to link everything back to it. So, yeah, we, we've sort of always tried to start each record by blocking out individual um, events in the, in the record that we know are going to have to happen. And then we'll assign a song to each event, but then we'll write each song sort of as its own entity. And, you know, it's got its own personal meaning to, um, to the guys and to me, and then we'll just sort of tie it back together once everything's been written, button it back into an overarching story.
0: Well, you know, with something like this, is it better left to one writer who will write the whole thing because maybe it's that person's vision and it's easier for him to come up with the ideas, or there's everybody kind of throwing their ideas and see if it can work within the story itself?
3: I think, as far as the concept goes, it's easiest to start with one person at least. Like generally, I'll come forward with the idea for each song, or I'll you know, at least tell the guys, like, hey, I was thinking about, like, this for, um, what's your feedback? Like, what do you think would be cool? And we're, we're all pretty much on the same page in terms of what we want. Um, and so usually it's like, you know, the guys be like, oh, that's awesome. And then, like, what if we added this? Or what if we had, you know, an extra point that addressed this? Or, you know, it was Joe's idea to have the, the whole cycle sort of loop. So, that you know, they'll add things in like that. But then from a song standpoint we really just try to make it as collaborative and diverse as possible. Uh, We all draw from super duper different influences. So, um, you know, like Joe, our harsh vocalist, for example, he's really heavy into hip hop and rap and that'll influence like how he chooses vocal cadencing. Our clean vocalist, Tyler, loves post-hardcore and, uh, you know, he's big on like early 2000s, metalcore, post-hardcore. So it's like everybody sort of has a strength that we can pull from. So we try to leverage that just as much as, but as far as concept goes, usually it'll start you know with one idea and then yeah we'll just try to sort of build on that and expand it as much as possible.
0: Yeah, like you were saying, most of the guys in the band have different influences and different things that you know they're kind of into. Uh, does that does that help or hurt the band in the end? Because with so many different things going on, does everybody really have to be open-minded to like what the other person is bringing it to the scene? Because maybe in your mind you say this might not work what he wants to do, but when you put it together, you're like, wow, I'm really surprised by that. So do you really have to have an open mind when everybody's so far apart in influence.
3: You do have to have an open mind. I I think it absolutely helps. Like I I can't remember a single time that it's hurt us having more diversity. Um, And I think, I guess our our sort of operating philosophy as a band is that musically the most dangerous thing that you could ever do as an artist is to be forgettable. You know, we sort of use that diversity to hedge against that and to broaden each of our horizons. And it's really cool looking back at, you know, even I think for my own musical taste and myself, like, I, was, I used to be very sort of pulled into the, you know, three genres that I would listen to, but after being exposed to different stuff, um, you know, just how far the genres can go in different directions, it's really helped me broaden my perspective, and, you know, uh, sort of like I was alluding to earlier, the record, it ended up coming out so much more, it was like larger than the sum of its parts, and... I think that was absolutely due to the diverse influence. And, yeah, it's something that, like, whenever we can possibly work in, you know, extra influence and extra diversity, we always push for that.
0: You know, you talk about, like, how big this record was, sound-wise, and how it came out. Uh, when you're putting it together and you're in the writing process, even in the studio and you're recording it and you're putting the tracks down, I mean, do you feel then, like, this is something special or does it take to you, like, like, really hit a whole thing come together before you say, wow, look what we created? Do you picture that and feel it, like, as you're moving along through the process?
3: Um, maybe. It's, so we, we kind of view the writing and recording as discovery. Like, it's partially because of the diverse influence of all the members. Um, the, the general cadence of a songwriting will go, on the one hand, you know, I'll write, like, a lyrical track. And then while I'm doing that, but independently of that, you know, Cody or Nathan will start writing a guitar structure and then we'll sort of mix and match. And already once you start mixing and matching two things that were written in different rooms, you start to get a new feel to it. That's like something that no one person could have predicted. And then, you know, when we take it to the studio um, and we start to think about its position in the record and, you know, what the energy trajectory of the album is going to be like, we start to add in more components and then, you know, we'll track vocals. And then finally, we'll um, we'll throw in the fantasy components. That's sort of like when we make a last pass over a song after the skeleton's been recorded, uh, we'll go through just thinking specifically, okay, like what can we do to really usher this into the fantasy end of fantasy core? And so that's, you know, kind of, to me, that's one of my favorite parts of the writing process and the studio process is You know, we walked into the studio with a list of, like, 10 Celtic instruments that we wanted to use on this record, for example. And we didn't know where they were going to happen. We didn't know what it was going to sound like. We just sort of, you know, went in with the knowledge that, hey, this is the tone that we're shooting for. You know, let's see how we can work these in. And when it clicks, you know, when you get that weird pan flute over a breakdown, (laughs) it just, like, is a, it's a cool moment to experience with the guys, and it sort of you know brings the songs to life in a new way that you hadn't seen before.
0: Yeah, that is an incredible feeling. And like you said, it's such a great record, but like right now, you know, the world is upside down right now and you, you put out this amazing album and I know you want to get out on the road and play behind it and get people to hear it. I mean, what do you do now in the downtime when you can't, I mean, at least here in the New York City area, I mean, there's nothing going on musically as far as live shows go. I think it's like that pretty much from the rest of the U.S. right now. I mean, what does a band do, like, you know, when you can't go out and play live?
3: Great question. Um, it, it's been for us, honestly less disruptive than it has for a lot of bands. I think we've been a band that uh, we've tried to focus most of our effort on uh, promoting our brand as efficiently as possible and effectively as possible. And to us, that looks like a lot of online promotion and internet advertising. So that's what we've been hitting really hard in this downtime. Um, and then yeah, we'll do weekly calls where we will all hop on a zoom call and, talk over goals and, um, you know, short-term and long-term strategic moves. And you know, already we're starting the writing process for our fourth record, and we're actually going to go to the studio in two weeks here to start recording some of the first songs for that one. So definitely not staying idle. Um, but, yeah, we, we've always been a band focused on sustainability and a uh, long-term trajectory. So the way that we view it is, you know, if we can – you know, cover our cost of living through passive income from Spotify, for example, that's going to be a hell of a lot more enjoyable and more sustainable for us as artists than if we, you know, sort of get into touring, so to speak, where you get these bands that make all of their living touring and selling merch. And then as soon as that's gone, uh, it kind of destroys their band. So we've, we've always tried to grow lean and work smarter rather than harder.
0: No, I, I agree with you. That's a perfect uh, way of doing it. I mean, from the very beginning, did you realize, you know, this is a business and you kind of have to focus just as much time, if not more sometimes, on the business part of it than you do on the actual music part? And is it more of a distraction? when it ta- Does it take you more away from the music when you got to concentrate on all the business end of the band?
3: No, and I, I don't think those have to be at odds either. I think there's like a, a weird misconception that either your music is art or it's business and you can't have both, but I I find the opposite. Like I, I love business just, you know, academically I, you know, I am self-employed. I went to business school. I I find business awesome. And I think that's like its own sort of art form in a way is, um, you know, learning the ins and outs of an industry and really diving in, figuring things out and trying to uh, make it happen on your own. But it's, it's also, I think something people don't realize is the only way that you can have artistic freedom is if you have financial freedom. Um, so like you can't, you know, you can't go record for two weeks in the studio if you can't get that time off of work, for example. And, you know, you can't pay studio fees if you don't have some extra cash flow. Um, even if you're on a record label, it, you know, there's so much about, being an artist that has full creative liberty that is just enhanced by having, you know, livable cash flow. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't, you know, pretty much from the beginning, we've been really aware of how focused and intentional we need to be because we realize if we don't treat it like a business and if we don't um, be financially responsible about it, that's when it falls apart, right? Like, bands don't fall apart because people. Uh, just get bored with music for the most part. It'll happen occasionally, but mostly they fall apart because it's like, well, I need to grow up and get a job. I got bills to pay and, you know, car payments and all that. So we try to to reverse engineer the process and say, hey, how do we make our car payments so that lets us have free time, so that lets us write music so we can hang out with each other and enjoy life. Yeah,
0: that's the way to do it. I mean, most bands that have come around – within the last 15, maybe even 20 years, they'll come up through a different business model. You know, it's not like the 60s, 70s, and 80s where the record companies were king, and if you were lucky enough to get your band Definitely. signed, you know, they, they showered you with money, they go and record and, you know, put you out on the road. It's, it's, it's completely different today, but is there a trade-off? If you, you know, because like back then, the record company kind of owned you. And if they said, listen, we're looking more for a band that sounds like, you know, something that's pop on the radio right now. You either went with it or you got dropped. And a lot of bands kind of took that path because they didn't want to lose the the deal. But today, you know, when you control Mm -hmm. your own destiny, you can do what you want to do, but the money's not there to back you. So it is a give and take. I mean, which model do you think you would prefer to be a part of?
3: I, hands down, love this newer business model. And, uh, you know, for a lot of, one, you never had the same ability to earn and to expand back in the day, unless you were one of the, you know, sort of elect people that a label really sunk their teeth into Um, But now the discoverability on Spotify and YouTube and just really any social media, anybody in the world can access your music. And that's super exciting to us. But also, you know, like you were saying, labels were calling the shots because financially they backed everything. So um, that's kind of where you get this trope about labels interfering with creative vision for artists. And, you know, as you were saying, hey, you know, you need a more radio sounding record or you need a rock album or you need a pop album. But, they, I mean, our experience with Sharptown has been just absolutely phenomenal. They literally just told us, hey, send us the masters when you're ready. You know, like, we don't even need to hear Roths. We trust your vision. And that's not something that you got 20, 30 years ago. That's a very new thing. And, it, you know, what it equates to is the labels have to put in the work on the front end when it comes to artist development and research. Um, they gotta, they have to have faith in the artists that they're signing And they got to believe in the product. But once they do that, you know, it makes life easier for them because they're not micromanaging. It makes life easier for the artists because we get to sort of explore our own creative capacity. and I think everyone just gets along better overall because of it. Yeah, I agree.
0: Hey Paul, before I let you go, because I know you're going to be doing these things all day long today. I'll give you a little breather between now and the next one. I mean, amazing job on this record. I mean, People have to go pick up Valley of the Kings. I think it's just the pinnacle of what you've been doing over the last three. And this is the final chapter, I'm guessing, in this story. I don't know if you're going to take on another one. (laughs) Just going back to individual albums after this. But do you have anything planned for this year? Is there anything already? I know you're going into the studio soon to work on new music. But anything on the life front, anywhere happening, anywhere this year? Is it kind of just shut down for you?
3: You know, tours are sort of pending. We're going to talk with Sharp Tone pretty soon here to see how realistic it is to even start planning for something. But, um, yeah, I guess in the meantime, we are working on new music. Uh, We don't want this next record to take as long as Valley of Kings did. Um, But, yeah, we've got some new music videos out people can check out. And, you know, we're busy bees, so we're going to have some new stuff for you soon.
0: Uh, That's fantastic. When you do get back out on the road, if you're in my area, you'll see me out there front and center.
3: Awesome, man. Hey, thanks so much. We appreciate that.
0: You got it. Well, take care. Have a great day, my friend.
3: You too. Take care.
0: It up here tonight. I want to thank my guest Joe and Paul For being on tonight's show. I will See you guys next. Oh, no, actually we're off next Sunday night. I forgot about that. We're back on the 9th We have uh, Jimmy Ambrose From Sinful on the show. Heaven and Hell is getting ready To release that great record from back in the day So we'll be talking to him live next Week. How about we wrap it up with a little uh, Steeler, night after night Take care, everybody. Have a great week. I'll see you Next Sunday